Great to be with you. Always so good to be back in my second home, Cornerstone. I love, I love being here, and it's so good to worship with you. And I'm in a particularly great space right now because it's summertime, and summertime is my favorite time of the year. And uh, I, I have lots of fond memories about summer. One of my favorite things about it, though, is vacation. And uh, I know that not everybody takes vacation in the summer. I know in this last year, a lot of us have been hard-pressed economically, so we're doing creative summer vacations, perhaps in our apartments or our condos or in our backyards. It's our home vacation. But a few of us are venturing out and going uh, to different places. Oftentimes when people talk about vacation, they talk about destination spots, places that we should go to experience the joy of being on vacation. And they kind of vary from who you are and what your interests are, where you want to go, all different kinds of things, age and stage of life. A lot of students, for example, when they graduate from college or graduate school, they fill up a backpack, they get a URL pass, they go to Europe. And they have a great time just crabbing around, experiencing life, and hopefully they come back alive. Sometimes in the summertime, families decide, hey, you know, this is the summer we're going to go to Disneyland or Disney World, and we're going to be hot, and it's going to be sticky, and there's going to be long lines, but we are going to have a great time. <laughs> Maybe you're a romantic, and you think, now, my, my destination spot where I want to go is Paris, and I am going to stand at the foot of the Eiffel Tower and I'm hoping and I'm praying that someone, anyone, will come up to me and kiss me. <laughs> I have about five places, a little list of about five places where I really want to go in my lifetime. And I've been able to knock a couple off the list. Um, one of them probably isn't on kind of the typical destination spots of the world, but I think it should be. And I really think you need to put this on your list. Uh, it's really a life-changing experience. Uh, it is overwhelming and overpowering in so many ways. And so I want you to put on your destination list to hit in your lifetime the M&M store in Las Vegas. <laughs> now, I have to tell you something. M&Ms are my favorite candy. They've been my favorite candy uh, since I was little. You can see a little slide up there of the M&M store. It really doesn't even do the store justice. It's just an amazing experience. Really, word is defiant, but I'm going to try and describe it to you. My husband and I were in Las Vegas. He was on a business trip, and so I tagged along just really basically to people watch because Las Vegas is a great place to watch people because when you leave, you feel so much better about yourself. <laughs> and so we were there. We were walking around, and... Uh, I saw a woman, and she was carrying a big bag with the M&M logo on it. Now, this is a little bit embarrassing, but it's sort of like a Pavlov's dog thing for me. When I see that logo, I become a different person. <laughs> I start to salivate, and I kind of lose all sense of reason, and we're rocking around. My husband's favorite candy, not M&M, something different. We're walking along, I see this woman with a bag, and before my husband can grab me by the arm, I'm over at her. And I say, excuse me, can I have that bag, please? 
because I want it for my collection. And she looks at me like, you know, she's in Las Vegas, so she's expecting anything, really. And she says, no, you cannot have my bag. It's my bag. It's got my stuff in it. But I will tell you where you can get a bag like this at the M&M store. And I was like, no. There's an M&M store? Now, I'm thinking an M&M store. You know, it's like one of those candy shops in a mall. You know, you walk in, you get your M&Ms. No, 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 no. The M&M store is four stories tall. I know. Four stories. And, and it, you, it, you go into the M&M store. We walked down there. It was about a two-mile walk, but I was determined we were going to go, you know, bless my husband's heart. He just went along for the ride. We get there. We walk in the doors, and I'm just like, <laughs> wow, I mean, my first destination spot in my lifetime for sure is heaven, M&M store number two. <laughs> and I, I, I kind of just go into like a, a, a trance, so my husband just like guides me to the elevator, puts me in, pushes floor four, we get to the top, we work our way all the way down. And uh, I got to tell you, anything M&M you want, you find it there. You get anything. I mean, t-shirts, mugs watches with M&Ms on them, bubblegum machines with them. I, I, somebody asked me last night, a little kid, says, what can you get there? I'm like, anything. Really. I mean, it's just amazing. So the best thing I got at the M&M store, I bought a t-shirt and I, I got a mug, but I got like a 10-pound bag of M&Ms. And you can make your own bag, you know, like you can just go in these bins and just scoop it in, whatever you want, whatever flavor you want, whatever color you want. Uh, filling, I mean, just fantastic. So I made this big bag, about 10 pounds, and I just hauled it out of there. I mean, it was like, you know, I, I, was, I was like doing curls as I was walking out. Uh, we get to the airport, it's just the two of us, so we're relaxing, we're reading, we're having a great kind of time before our flight's ready to board, and I decide to pull my bag of M&Ms out and begin just my M&M experience of eating. So I start eating them. I'm having a great time. All of a sudden, my husband turns to me, and this is where the whole thing goes sour, because he goes, can I have some M&Ms? <laughs> All right, I grew up in a home that valued sharing. That was a core value of our home. My parents taught me how to share. And I'm sitting in the airport. I'm, I'm 45 years old, and I'm having a crisis. I'm having an internal crisis, because I don't want to share. You know, I have kids of my own. I'd say to them, share. I'm like, no, I'm not sharing. So I, I think about it. I go, I, I, I have to share. So I take like four M&Ms out. I put them <laughs> in my husband's car. Well, he kind of looks at me and looks at the M&Ms. He just sort of throws them in. And I just go back to my reading and back to my eating. And then a few minutes later, he says, hey, uh, could I have some more M&Ms? Well, I'm just irritated now. I'm just full on just mad because I don't want to share them. So I give him like two. <laughs> Finally, he, he, he eats them and he turns to me and he says, Libby, he goes, you know, you're not being very generous with your M&Ms. And uh, I kind of looked at him and looked at my bag, which was still quite full. We were down to about eight pounds. <laughs> and I realized he was right. I was not being generous. I, I, I laughed and I said, here, just have as many as you want because I realized, you know what? I'm not going to eat all these M&Ms, and if I do, I can run to the convenience store in the airport and get another bag. Well, if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm going to be talking about generosity today. 
And as part of what we're discovering together in this summer series of Life Worth Giving. And I want to talk about generosity with you by looking at a text in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 8. And we're going to read it together in just a minute. But I kind of want to give you a thumbnail sketch of what's going on for the Corinthian church in this passage. So in the early church, there were several different churches that were spread out all over the place. And kind of the mothership church, or kind of the, the head honcho church, was a church in Jerusalem. And we don't exactly know why, but what we do know from Paul's letter is that the church in Jerusalem was undergoing a financial hardship. And so the call had gone out to all of the churches in Macedonia and southern Greece to kind of gather their resources and send their financial resources back to Jerusalem to help them out in their time of need. And so churches began to do this. And one of the churches, in fact, the first church that enthusiastically embraced this calling was the church in Corinth. And they were the first ones to gather their financial resources and send them to Jerusalem. But somewhere along the line, after sending these resources, they stopped. We don't exactly know why. Maybe they just got tired of sending it. Maybe they felt like they didn't want to share their M&Ms. Maybe they felt they were in their own financial crisis and wanted to hoard. We don't know, but they stopped. And so Paul sends this letter of many, many different things covered in the second letter of the Corinthians. One of them is this issue of giving. And he he compels them to remember the promise they had made to, to give to the church in Jerusalem. And he does this in a kind of an interesting way. He says to them, you know, there's this other little church in a place called Macedonia. They're really struggling. They're poor. They're persecuted. And they're giving. In fact, they're giving above and beyond measure. So I'm wondering if you could maybe rally and give your portion. <laughs> Very Pauline, the way he does this. So we're going to pick it up there, and we're going to look at 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. And then we'll kind of pull out what God has for us out of this text today. Paul says, Now I want you to know, dear brothers and sisters, what God in his kindness has done through the churches in Macedonia. They are being tested by many troubles, and they are very poor. But they are also filled with abundant joy, which has overflowed in rich generosity. For I can testify that they gave not only what they could afford, but far more. And they did it of their own free will. They begged us again and again for the privilege of sharing in the gift for the believers in Jerusalem. They did even more than we had hoped. For their first action was to give themselves to the Lord and to us, just as God wanted them to do. So we've urged Titus, who encouraged your giving in the first place, to return to you and encourage you to finish this ministry of giving. Since you excel in so many ways, in your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. I'm not commanding you to do this, but 
I am testing how genuine your love is by comparing it with the eagerness of other churches. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Here's my advice. It would be good for you to finish what you started a year ago. Last year, you were the first who wanted to give, and you were the first to begin doing it. Now you should finish what you started. Let the eagerness you showed in the beginning be matched now by your giving. Give in proportion to what you have. Whatever you give is acceptable if you give it eagerly, and give according to what you have, not what you don't have. Of course, I don't mean your giving should make life easy for others and hard for yourselves. I only mean that there should be some equality. Right now, you have plenty and can help those who are in need. Later, they will have plenty and can share with you when you need it. In this way, things will be equal. As the scriptures say, those who gathered a lot had nothing left over, and those who gathered only a little had enough. Now, what does this letter to the Corinthians and this little church in Macedonia have to do with us today? Well, I think it teaches us a lot about what it means to live generously. And I want to talk about that with you uh, this morning. I want to begin by kind of unpacking what I believe it means and what scripture tells us is the root, really, of being a generous person. And the first thing I think the text tells us is this, generosity arises out of gratitude. Generosity arises out of gratitude. You know, Paul cites this little church in Macedonia, and he says the first thing that they did, and the most important thing that they did was they gave their lives over to God. And because they did that, their lives are like an outpouring of love and of gratitude and of mercy. And so out of all of that, they have been blessed to give out of their poverty. You know, the thing that amazes me about this little church in Macedonia is Paul says, they're small, they're poor, they're pure persecuted, they have nothing, they gave more than we ever asked. In fact, they gave even more than that, and then they begged to give more. They were grateful people. They were grateful primarily because of what God had done in their lives. See, our gratitude really begins by saying, God, what have you done? Who are you? Think about it for a minute. Who is God? What is the character of God? Well, it's beyond description. I mean, we can't really truly put words to it because God is so much more immense than we can ever even imagine. But we can use terms that we understand. We can say God is immense. God is magnificent. God is beautiful. God is the most creative and uh, just resourceful God that there would ever be. God is transcendent of anything we could ever imagine, and yet God is immensely and irreversibly and unchangeably personal. Wow. That's the kind of God that we have, and that's like just the beginning. That doesn't even begin to describe 
who God is. We take some time, we think, who are you, God? Who are you, God? But we don't stop there. We, we're grateful for what God has done in our lives. We take time to say, God, what have you done with, with who I am? Where have you taken me? You know, when I think about where God has taken me, uh, from the time before I even said I love God to now, I'm, I'm just, I'm blown away by that. When I think about who I was and, and what God has done and how God has used circumstances and even how God has used stupid choices on my part to somehow shape me and grow me, when I know and I, I realize that sort of the darkness of my own soul, those places that I try to keep hidden from everyone else. You, you know what those places are like. There's those places where you think things that are unthinkable. There are those times when words come out of your mouth that are hurtful. Um, they're just evil. And, and once they come out, you wish that you could push a rewind button and get them back in. Um, there are things that we do that we go, I, why did I do that? And then I think about those things, and then I think, what is God's response to me? Is God's response to me one of condemnation? Is God's response to me one of shame? Is God's response to me one of the door is closed, go away? No. God's response to me and to you is one of open arms. Come back to me, God says. Come back to me. My longing, God says, is to forgive you and to shower you with love and to give you good gifts. When we think about what God has done, it's overwhelming. Sometimes when I think about what God has done in my life, in my heart, in my character, I can barely catch my breath. I can barely get my breath because I'm so grateful. It's that kind of gratitude that fosters generosity. And when we think what God has given us, just material the things God has given us, a, a place to lay our head, a community of faith where we're encouraged and we're loved and we're accepted and we're challenged to grow, uh, friendships, uh, families, Places where we can practice the use of our gifts, work, whatever. God has given us so much. And when we stop and we go, wow, God, you have given me exceedingly abundantly more than I could ever ask or imagine. We don't have to conjure up generosity. We don't have to work hard to get it. It just begins to flow out of who we are. When we develop gratitude, when we take time to think about who God is and what God has done and what God has given us, generosity will flow out of us. Uh, Ten days ago, probably my very best friend in Folsom uh, was out cycling by 10.30 in the morning, and a young lady who was drunk swerved into the bike lane and hit her. She was propelled from her bike. She sustained a traumatic brain injury, so much so that when they airlifted her out and they took her to the hospital, her brain was so swollen they had to remove a piece of her skull to relieve the pressure. She was in a coma. She had multiple wounds all over her body. 
and many of us wondered if she would even survive. When I went to the hospital and I stood by her bedside in that ICU unit and I held her hand and I talked to her in her coma, I said, you know what, Kathy, uh, here's one of the things that you've taught me. And I began to just think about all the things that she's taught me over the last two years. Not only is she probably my very best friend, but she's also a ministry partner with me. She uh, leads our women's ministries at our church. She leads our single ministries. She oversees our small group ministries. She has a lot on her plate. And in the midst of all of that, um, I began to think about her generosity. And I said to her, you know, you're one of the most generous people I know. And I said, I'm going to San Francisco in 10 days, and I'm talking about generosity. And I said, I'm going to tell them about you because you have taught me about generosity because of who you are. Uh, you know, she's 48 years old. She's never been married. Um, doesn't have kids. She doesn't have a lot of money. She doesn't make a lot of money. But faithfully, she gives financially back to the Lord, regardless of where she struggles. She is incredibly generous with her time. Um, she gives her time to people. In spite of all that's on her plate, people are never seen as an interruption. Um, she's an amazing listener and encourager. Um, she walks alongside people in their journey with Jesus. She loves them. Uh, just recently, you know, she um, chaperoned at our local high school's safe and sober grad night. You know, she doesn't have kids. She doesn't have a high school kid. She doesn't really have any reason to chaperone the high school safe and sober grad night. But she was there because she has a generous spirit. You know, I don't know why things like this happen to people who are generous like she is. I can't explain it. But here's what I do know. Her generosity has been an outgrowth of her gratitude. And I'm going to tell you why I know that. Because every week for the last two years, we have lunch together. We go to the same restaurant, La Fiesta. We have the same meal, Super Burrito. And we talk about what God is doing in our lives, where, where God is shaping us, where we're being challenged, where we've failed, and we need prayer and encouragement. You know, one of the things she often has said to me in those times is, you know what, Libby, I'm, I'm so grateful for what God has done for me. I'm so grateful for who God is. Now, she... She's had miracles happen to her since last Wednesday. She's come out of her coma. Um, she's far exceeded the doctor's expectations of where she should be right now. God is doing miraculous things in her. He's, he's healing her. We're standing by. We're praising God. We're walking every step of the way. And in the midst of all this, her generosity is reverbing out farther than she would ever know. Not only around that bedside, with people who have walked alongside her, not only in our church community, not only in Folsom, but in other places in our state, in other countries, in other places across the globe. People are hearing about the generosity of one woman who lies in an ICU unit who has a generous spirit because of what God has done.
generosity arises out of gratitude. Second thing I think that the text tells us is that generosity calls us to give our best to God. You know, I love I loved the Corinthian church because they're just like everybody else. You know, they're, they love God and they're eager and they're enthusiastic. And I can imagine them hearing the call to support the Jerusalem church. I can imagine them going, yes, yeah, we're there, man. We're going to be the first. Bring it on. We've got the resources. We can do it. I can imagine kind of just the, the battle call going out. And then I can imagine they just fell flat. You ever had that happen to you? You ever been like, yeah. And then maybe a few months later, you're going, yeah. <laughs> then maybe a few months later, you go, yeah. And then you go, no. <laughs> it's kind of where the Corinthians were. Somewhere along the line there, yeah, went to, mm-mm. <laughs> you know, I don't know. They just forgot. Maybe they got busy. Uh, but, you know, no matter what's going on in our lives, you know, no matter how hard our lives are, uh, no matter how traumatic they are, no matter how stressful they are, uh, God says, I do not want you to withhold from me yourself and your gifts. I want you to give liberally. That's the beauty of the Macedonian church. Look at them. They're little. They're poor. They're persecuted. And they go, oh, God, we want to give you our best. In fact, can we give you our best? And can we just give you a little bit more of our best? And then can we just give a little more? That warms the heart of God. And they are held up, this little church, Macedonia, as the example. About a year and a half ago, a friend of mine got in touch with me, and she said to me, hey, uh, I have just felt compelled to pray for you for the next year. And I was wondering if it was okay with you if I did that. And I'm like, duh. <laughs> and I said, hey, if, you know, if you want to take the risk of praying for me for a year, knock yourself out, sister, because I hope you know what you're getting into. Because <laughs> you know me. I mean, I'm a big project. And she said, no, I really want to do it. And she said, in fact, I, I want to write it down in a prayer journal. And I want to send it to you at the end of the year, if that's okay with you. I said, yeah, by all means. So we, we talked a little bit in that year, on and off. And then the, the year ended, and I, I got this journal in the mail, and I ripped it open. I mean, literally, like, ripped it open. And I ran upstairs, and I walked to the door to my office, and I sat down, and I opened the journal. And uh, I read all these amazing things in this journal that, I'd come out of her prayer, just, just things about how much God loved me and uh, how passionate God was about me and about my family, God's heart, for, God's heart for my ministry, God's desires that I would experience more of him. It was just, wow, it was just overwhelming to me. I mean, I just sat there and wept. I got about halfway through um, the journal and in the journal, it said, I was reading today in 2 Samuel, and this verse jumped out, and I just think it's a verse for you. And it was from 2 Samuel 24, 24, and the verse says this, I will not offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. I will not offer unto the Lord that which costs me nothing. And when I read it, I got shivers. I thought, that's for me. 
That's for me. I said, God, that's who I want to be. I do not want to give you the leftovers. I do not want to give you second best. I do not want to offer up to you, God, that which costs me nothing. I want to give to you the things that matter to me. Oh, man, I started thinking about it. I thought, man, I want to give... I want to give to you, God, the people that matter most to me. I mean, the people that are nearest my heart, the people I love the most. Uh, I, want to, I want to give to you the, the ideas that matter to me, the thoughts that matter to me. God, I want to give to you the dreams that I have that I hold so tightly to you. And I took my hands that often are like this, and I opened them up, and I said, God, I want to offer you a sacrifice that costs me something. See, generosity is costly. Generosity is costly, but the payout on the other end far outweighs the cost on our end. The payout is that God takes our generosity and he multiplies that in terms of how he works in our lives. As we release ourselves to him, he's like, yes, now I'm I can really work because you're giving it over. You're giving it over. Now you're going to see things you never, you never thought you'd see. Now I'm going to be able to use you in ways you would have never asked for. Probably the last six months of my life, God has just like kind of gone, pushed me out a little farther, a little farther, a little farther. Okay, just a little farther, a little farther. And, and I keep going out to the edge of my envelope, and the envelope keeps getting longer, and God keeps pushing. And I keep going. And every time I say, God, I don't want to offer you a sacrifice that costs me nothing, God says, that's good, because I want you to move out a little farther. And the farther I move out, wow, the more exciting it is, because I get to watch heaven come to earth. I get to be on the front lines. Don't you want to be on the front lines of the values of heaven intersecting with earth and changing the world. I don't want to be at the back of the line going, what's going on up there? I want to be at the front. I want you to be at the front. I want you to grab hold of the front because that's what God has for you. I want you to offer a sacrifice to God that costs you something. Not so that you're suffering, but so that you experience the other side of the cost. I don't know exactly where you guys are in your personal lives today. You know where you are. You know where maybe you're being challenged to grow in your generosity. Maybe you just say, wow, I hadn't thought about being grateful. Not because you're selfish or hard-hearted. You just hadn't sat down and practiced it. Maybe, maybe that's where you are. Maybe you start there. Maybe you know an area in your life where you're being, you're being pushed out. Maybe it's financially. God's saying, I would really like you to trust me to stretch out financially and give so that you can see how I'm going to take care of you. Maybe it's personally. Maybe it's spiritually. God knows where it is. If you don't know, ask him. You'll find out. I want us to be people who say, God, I will not offer a sacrifice to you that costs me nothing. That is my prayer to you. And when God says to me, I would like the 10-pound bag, of M&M's, I'm confident I will give it to him and more.
and I trust that for you as well. Band's going to come up in a minute, close out the service. Um, we're going to re receive our offering this morning, but before we do that, let me pray for us. God, we're grateful. We're grateful. Can't really put words to it. But our hearts know it, and you know it. And our prayer this morning is that you would take that gratitude and you would transform it into generosity of our hearts and of our lives. That we would, in fact, uh, be people who would be used by you to have heaven touch earth and that your generosity might grow and grow and grow so the world might be changed for the sake of Jesus. We thank you in advance. We're expectant and we anticipate it. In your name we pray.